Okay, so we're in the season of Advent. I consider Advent as a, an experiment in, so, in spiritual honesty, in a time of year that wants to cover up all of the pain and the struggle of the world with a giant glitter ball. <laughs> and in a society that does anything to avoid pain, anything, how do we as the followers of Jesus recapture the practice of being with one another in our deep sorrows and our longings? How do we give ourselves permission to be present, present with one another and with God in this beautiful, beautiful Advent season of waiting? And as we leave this season of waiting, which we will, what will be the song that will be in your heart? Because I believe that as we spend time in this season waiting on God, he will start to write new songs on our hearts. And I look forward to what they will bring in 2022. So today I want to speak to vulnerability as a theme. Um, I could probably speak on vulnerability all day, but I won't because you don't want me to. Um, so I would suggest that there's several ways that we view vulnerability that perhaps don't serve us or even vulnerability well. And I, I would suggest that we either want to avoid it or not admit to it. And this morning, I want to propose to us that there might be another way of thinking about vulnerability. There might be another way of inviting us into a spiritual vulnerability that actually is more authentic and draws us closer to the one. So if you look in the dictionary, it describes vulnerability as the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. And as a human race for the last two years with a pandemic, we can surely identify with that despite all our attempts to avoid this reality. And so there's that part of vulnerability. And sometimes when I talk with people about vulnerability, they jar against it because they think it's a sign of weakness or they don't want to admit that maybe they are vulnerable and yet we are. The other aspect of vulnerability that I think has emerged in our culture is that everyone needs to know your story and that somehow sharing your story is a holy act. And I consider that the real secret of true vulnerability is that not everybody is meant to know, that there are some secrets that are to be kept and are sacred. The Black Liturgies, who I follow, write some beautiful stuff, and they said, remember the God who dwelled in the hiddenness of Mary's womb, Mary reminds us that no one is entitled to your story. And sometimes I wonder in this age that we live in, are we either not wanting to show our weakness and we consider vulnerability as a weakness or else we are oversharing and telling everyone everything. And in doing that, we make our very souls raw. And that because of those two ideas on vulnerability, we run from it. And I suggest today that, the, that we're missing the point of vulnerability. I find the line from the Lectio 365, Sabbath blessing. For me, it sums up an authentic and spiritually mindful explanation of vulnerability. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. Perhaps if we all chose to live out of that knowledge of our own finite smallness, that would invite us into the gift that is living an authentic life, leaning into our vulnerability.
Madeline Lengel, she writes, when we were children, we used to think that when we were grown up, we would no longer be vulnerable. But to grow up is to accept vulnerability and to be alive is to be vulnerable. So that is our invitation today. I, I want to actually read, are many of you using the book? If everybody's not, then I can be bold enough to read it. But if everybody is, there's a few that aren't. Scott is, a, is a, a creative writer and a poet, and he can say it so much better than I can. So I'm going to read parts of this to you, because I think it's beautiful. Any real connection involves vulnerability, whether in marriage or friendship, or even with a stranger. A relationship can progress only so far along the normal platitudes of strength and accomplishment. It is only when we have exhausted our tales of trophy winning when we let down our guards, and when we speak to the truths about our travels, that we find that where we really connect as humans is in the places we have found we walk with a limp. Even in our biology, we are a culmination of wondrous systems, organs, and cellular mysteries that still confound us to this day. When all of these parts work together, it's a delight to behold. But when they go awry, as they often do, it is the fearful nightmares that prevent hypochondriacs from enjoying a good night's sleep or the experience of chronic pain that endlessly grates within our days. We are wonderfully and fearfully put together and it is only recently that we have begun to witness that process through science and photography. The ancient Samus alludes to an interior process of knitting a delicate intertwining of individual strands over and over again until eventually an elaborate and beautiful tapestry comes to fruition. We now, as 21st century humans, have been able to bear witness to this in utero knitting through published photographs and model displays at our local science museum. But throughout the history of humanity, that knitting process has remained an interior secret. This secret is a vulnerable relationship with, between two individuals. The forming child trusts the mother to provide all of its needs, nourishment, rest, energy, protection, so it can be knit together to its wonderful completion. The mother offers herself to the forming child, trusting it will take what it needs to mature into completion, whilst refraining from harming, hurting, or depleting her own body of what it needs to survive. Both parties grow together connected at their vulnerabilities, and both parties take the risk of creating something new together. If you don't know anyone yet who's had a miscarriage, just wait, you will. And if you don't know of at least one person who has lost their life trying to bring another into this world, just wait, you will. The risks are all too painfully real. So what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable with us? Who's willing to come into this world through the statistical risk of childbearing? Who's willing to be attached to a placenta for nourishment and life? Who's willing to wait and grow in the human womb? Who's willing to be fearfully and wonderfully made just like we are? Any real connection involves vulnerability because it takes the act of making oneself open to truly be known. God came to us floating in embryonic fluid, 
slowly forming and taking shape, embedded in the uterine wall of a Middle Eastern teenager. It trusted to care for its fragile knitting process. What this says about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable is that God is willing to open itself up to deeply connect with us. The real question is, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to do the same? God chose to enter the world through incarnation as a baby. No greater example of vulnerability. Anyone who's ever held a baby or looked at a baby knows that they are utterly dependent on their mother for life and then for growth and development. In the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus' birth, a Middle Eastern teenage mother had a 30% chance of dying in childbirth. And the infant mortality rate was the same. 30% of children died, and yet God chose that way to come to earth. Across the globe today, every other minute of the day, a woman or a girl dies as a complication of pregnancy or childbirth. The WHO tells us that every year, 303,000 women die in pregnancy and childbirth. I find that startling in 2021. God chose childbirth the most risky, painful, and messy way to be incarnated. God made himself vulnerable to invite us into intimacy, as all true intimacy begins with vulnerability. You will get to know no one until you become vulnerable. I want to read this poem. It's been doing the rounds on social networks by Caitlin Shelter. It's called Poems of Resistance. Now, it speaks to, um, it speaks to maybe a slightly provocative view about women and, and their position, but it also speaks to what... what oh, and I've just lost it. Now, that's annoying. Just give me a second. Facebook sort of lets me down when I need it. What a surprise. Caitlin Shelter. I must say that several years ago I spoke about the woman with the issue of blood and at the end of the, the service or the gathering someone said to me, I really loved what you said but my husband found it very uncomfortable. And I said, oh, right. Uh, and I was a bit confused. And she said, he doesn't really like talking about those sorts of things. And I said to her, he does know you have periods, doesn't he? Because I thought, really? And she said, yes, but he doesn't like to talk about it. And we sort of giggled about that. And yet it stayed with me because I thought, do we not talk about the messiness and the painfulness and the, the difficultness of life? And this poem speaks to this, Caitlin Shelter. Sometimes I wonder if Mary breastfed Jesus, if she cried out when he bit her, or if she sobbed when he would not latch. And sometimes I wonder if this is all too vulgar to ask in a church full of men without milk stains on their shirts or coconut oil on their breasts, preaching from pulpits off limits to the mother of God. But then I think of feeding Jesus, birthing Jesus, the expulsion of blood, and smell of sweat and the salt of a mother's tears onto the soft head of the salt of the earth, feeling lonely and tired and hungry and overwhelmed and loving. 
And I think that if the vulgarity of birth is not honestly preached by men who carry power but not burden, who carry privilege but not labor, who carry authority but not submission, then it should not be preached at all. Because the real scandal of the birth of God lies in the cracked nipples of a 14-year-old and not in the sermons of ministers who say women are too delicate to lead. What do you think of that? My nipples nipped, to be fair. <laughs> That's a felt memory, let me assure you. <laughs> if we look at the life of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, he connected with people at their point of vulnerability. Countless stories of compassionate connection leading to the forgiveness of sins, healing and restoration. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus up in the tree, the man on the mat we spoke about, the woman with the issue of blood, to name but a few. And in Luke 7, probably one of a very beautiful story where the woman who was considered sinful came to anoint Jesus' feet with oil. There's some suggestion she may have been a sex worker. There's some suggestion she may simply have not followed all the religious views and did all of the cleansing. And Simon was reasonably disturbed by her act. And she came and she poured perfume on the feet of Jesus in an act of utter love. And Simon says, you know, do you not know who she is? Because he wanted to go into judgment. And Jesus spoke and he said, Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? Jesus saw her vulnerability. Jesus saw the mess of her life. Jesus knew all about it. He didn't ask her to talk about it. He didn't ask her to, he didn't shame her. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Absolutely not what his religious leaders all around him would have said. But he saw her vulnerability and he, all he did was speak with compassion. He didn't put her on a restorative program. He didn't tell her she had to go for years of therapy. He didn't say anything. He said, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. There's no more shame. And I'm quite sure she walked free. And so if we show, Jesus show, knows our deepest need and he speaks to our deepest need. And he speaks to the darkest secrets, ourselves that we try so hard to hide. And his response is always, you are forgiven. Go in peace. So Jesus came as a vulnerable baby. And as Scott proposed, the real question to us is, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to deeply connect with God and be open and willingly vulnerable? Are we willing to lean into our vulnerability and connect with the one who is always leaning towards us? This week in, in our lives, we had a startling reminder of, of how tenuous our holding life is and, and how things can change in moments. And it reminded me that Tim Mackey says it so beautifully in the Bible Project. All it takes is a disaster or a tragedy to crash into our lives and it reminds us that we're in charge of practically nothing. And in those moments and hours when we were waiting to hear some stuff, um, all we could do was lean in to the one who's always leaning towards us. Because that is all we can do when things and life become difficult. And Brené Brown uses that childbirth analogy where she talks about faith. And she said, 
I grew up believing and I was taught that faith was like an epidural. I would float through life and nothing would hurt me and I'd be protected. And life would happen in my body and I wouldn't even feel it. And then what I learned was that faith is like a midwife who stays and leans into your ears and says, keep going, push on, lean in, don't fight, don't fight the pain, lean into it, learn the lessons and life will come. So wherever you are this morning, and I know some of the stories in this room, wherever you are, lean in to what life is teaching you at the minute, knowing that you are held and that your finite smallness is your true vulnerability as you are held in the arms of God's infinite greatness. And that, I would suggest, is a spiritual vulnerability that we can all choose and embrace that gift and live in. So, I have two questions for you that will come up now. They're very me, they're very open-ended, so do with them as you will. Um, I've got interested in what practices, we talked about this the last day I was here, what practices will enable you to lean into your vulnerability this Advent season? Um, and I was bought a lovely Advent candle as a gift. Um, it's years since I've been bought one, and it takes about half an hour to burn down every day. And so I've chosen to sit every day and stare at that light and wait. And some days I come out with great revelations, and some days I find it hard to get off my to-do list, if I'm honest but I'm intentionally trying. And so I want you maybe in your groups to have an open conversation about what I've, I've brought and then maybe think together, what are you going to lean into in this season? Is that good? You're nodding, that's good. Okay.